And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Double Down with Breslow. We've got the beautiful Lauren the Better joining us in this episode. This will be a very unique episode. Uh, we haven't had an influencer on the show before. Uh, she does work in the industry. It'll be up to you to figure out where and with whom she works in the industry. But for purposes of our show, she's simply Lauren the Better, who has built up a huge following on Twitter, Instagram, etc., uh, providing picks and all kinds of analysis and crazy thoughts about uh, the world of sports betting. And we're thrilled to have her on Double Down to share it all with us here. Lauren, the better welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's funny that you actually call me an influencer. I don't even think of myself as that, but I suppose I am. To me, like the the true sign of being an influencer is when you start getting comped stuff, and I've not reached that level. I've not been comped like anything. So, but that is the goal. That is the goal. We, I we want to start get start giving me free stuff. Give me free stuff. Give me swag, like hoodies or like anything. anything. Or pay me. You pay me to wear your clothes, or yeah. you know, promote whatever you want promoted, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So, so you're you're yeah. saying you're not at the Kardashian level quite yet. Not at the Kardashian level yet, but well, you know. Let's see if Double Down can help can help can help you get there. So so give us the background on how you started becoming big on the internet and exactly what you provide on the internet that would cause people to want to go find you on, on Twitter and Instagram? Well, I guess I'll start from the beginning. So originally when I started my Twitter account, it was really more like an outlet for me because this was like shortly after COVID was done. I was actually living in Texas at the time. So I started messing around with DFS. So I was like playing around with prize picks, playing around with underdog and I'd share my picks. And this was really primarily NBA season at this point. And this was guess like a year ago, almost exactly. So I would do that. And then at some point just started like engaging with people and they started engaging with me, giving me feedback on, you know, my cards or, you know, giving me crap when none, nothing hit, whatever the case was. And so I kind of like had an audience from that. And then um, I'd frequently go to Vegas, post Vegas content. And to me, like the world of gambling, I think what's so interesting about it is it's more than just like, gambling like it's this broader culture I think and I really love that about gambling and I I really embrace that about it and so my brand or my voice on Twitter and Instagram kind of became less about being an outlet and more of like a method for outreach to talk about betting you know different topics around betting like you know how do we pull in different demographics into betting how is the betting landscape changing but I think ultimately, I guess to answer your question of like, how, how did I build this audience? A lot of it just comes down to like, first of all, not pretending like I know anything because at the end of the day, like, no, you know, when you're making picks, like, I mean, all you can do is do your best and come up with whatever. How, how were your picks by the way? Uh, not, not great. So let me tell you about <laughs> one pick that I did that actually got the attention of some places early on. And again, this was like Lauren, the better kind of starting out, but like, you know, had somewhat of an audience. So I made this really chalky play in Vegas uh, at Circa. And I was thinking like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support the Las Vegas Aces. And I put $500 down on a, uh, the Aces. To, I think it was just money line. 500 bucks for the Aces to win against, I think, the Sky. Isn't, this, isn't that a tennis team? What is no. the Las Vegas Aces? What, what are they? WNBA. WNBA. Okay. Excuse me. I'm, I'm not a big follower of the WNBA. WNBA but... They're okay. there. I know. I know. I know. They're actually, uh, they, they used to be in San Antonio. They moved out to Vegas, became the Las Vegas aces. Um, but, uh, so yeah, so I you told that. everybody jump on the aces. Yeah, tonight. I was like, 
Yeah. And, and I was like, look at me, $500 on these women. Like, this is so awesome. Um, I think it was like, you know, minus 5,000. Like, I mean, it was chalky. Like they were going to win. Well, they ended up not winning. And it was like the biggest comeback in NBA or WNBA history. The sky, like all of a sudden pulled ahead. Anyway, long story short, it got some attention. It was funny. Obviously, like I leaned into the funny of it. And I think that's so much of like what it is that I try to portray and, you know, enforce and, you know, kind of live on my, you know, my platforms is like, it's funny, like gambling can and should be fun. It's, you're going to lose, like laugh at yourself. And so I actually started to transition more from like giving picks um, to just like more, like I said earlier, kind of just commenting more broadly on gambling itself. So um, a lot of what I do, you know, is, is, is me, you know, like it's not this internet persona or anything like that. Like it's me talking about, you know, my kids hamsters and Hey, let's race the hamsters and let's see, you know, like, uh, we're going to put $10 on marshmallow is going to beat Tommy. And Oh yeah. You know, like let's, let's test them for uh, controlled substances. You know, like it's just, it's just being funny about it. So right. Um, I right. think that's kind of how I built that audience because there is so much, I think there's so much information on the internet. And I think there's a lot of really interesting Twitter accounts and personalities, and they all provide different perspectives and values. Some of it's, you know, highly data-driven, highly analytical. And I think that there's a tremendous value and audience and, you know, demand for that. But for me, I provide something else, which is just, you know, have some fun. Don't take yourself that seriously. And, you know. Yeah, well, and, and that's what sports betting is supposed to be, right? It, it's essentially a recreational uh, activity, something that you do. You're already watching sports. Now you can add, make it a little bit more enjoyable by having a little skin in the game, um, as opposed to someone who's trying to do it, you know, as a career. I mean, we know a handful of people can make money that way, but it's very, very few. So yeah. you, you putting out there the idea that, hey, this is supposed to be fun, you know, is a really kind of positive message and and what I would think, frankly, the sports books would want being put out there. And in fact, I would think that uh, I know you already work in the industry, but I could very well picture you, you know, doing a show for one of them. You know, we've been we interviewed uh, Tanner Kern uh, last uh, time and he, you know, he does a handicapping show and so on. Yeah. But, you know, the handicapping is a very serious show right. and the people watching are very serious because they want to win. Yeah. But your angle on things, I think, is a very healthy angle. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you. I, I try to, you know, approach it and encourage kind of healthy play. Cause that's obviously how I approach it myself. And I think, you know, it's interesting, like it, I think it, I have found, you know, and I didn't really set into this to have an audience necessarily. It just kind of happened organically, but you know, what I found is the serious betters like my content. Cause they, I think they laugh, they see themselves in the scenarios that I, you know, laugh about, or, you know, I recently made a video about like, if wagers were people. So like, you know, each wager type was like a person and different personalities. So underdog was this, you know, like goth kind of like outcast and favorite was like the prom queen. So anyway, like I try to like, you know, make it funny. So I, I have this really interesting blend of people who engage with me and I engage with them. You know, I have serious betters who have been in the industry a very long time. I have, you know, some kind of on the younger side of the spectrum who, you know, maybe grew up playing DFS and now are now doing betting or maybe haven't really bet before, but just kind of 
you know, by virtue of sort of the saturation of the topic kind of find themselves on hashtag gambling Twitter. I also have a lot of females that I've, you know, engaged and, you know, interact with frequently. And I think that's been a really happy surprise in a lot of ways of like, you know, real connections and like real, you know, friendships with some of these people. And, um, you know, and, and also, like I mentioned, like Lauren, the better is, is me. So, you know, I have three kids. So while I don't show my kids on Twitter, like I talk about them, like I am a mother. And I think there's something about that that resonates with a lot of people and particularly women, I think, who, you know, then reach out and they send me a picture of their kids, you know, playing go fish. And they're like, oh, look at, you know, Andy's getting ready for blackjack when he turns 20, you know, whatever the case is. But like, I think people relate in some different capacity. I think it's because I embrace so much of like, you know, the funniness of it, but also like, this is me. I'm, you know, Lauren, I'm a 35 year old with three kids and I like to bet, you know, so, you know, and I think that's the thing that's so interesting about gambling. Again, like the culture is very interesting, but I think there's this community of like really, really engaged people who want to interact and there are real people behind these screens. And so in this virtual world, obviously it can sometimes feel impersonal, but I found like, you know, very, very genuine, you know, people through this. I've also met some real assholes, but um, I just blocked them. So it's fine. So, so let's talk about females in the world of sports betting. Um, what can you share as far as what you know about it? What percentage of sports bettors are out there are female? What does the industry think about female bettors? How do they, uh, what, what are their patterns? How are their patterns different than male bettors, et cetera? Uh, that's a great question. I know there's a lot of data that's starting to kind of come out, you know, as as there's more time with sports betting, there's obviously more data sets to collect and analyze and tell a story of like what it is that women are doing when it comes to sports betting, where they're engaging, where they're not. It's surprisingly high number of women are betting. I think it's like 30% of, of women have engaged in some sort of sports bet. It's, it's interesting though, because you don't really hear that a lot. You know, I have a lot of girlfriends and they know about sports betting through me. I know they've placed bets and do it, you know, with their husbands or whatever the case is, but they don't really talk about it. And I think like, it also goes back to women, you know, women have a different way of spending money. So even when you look at just like investment strategies, women behave differently than men. Like when you're talking about trading stocks, making, you know, long-term investments, all of that. Um, and I think that is mirrored in sports betting. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of opportunities to engage women in sports betting, um, in a way that it feels like it speaks to them a little bit more directly. Um, you know, I think right now, a lot of the women I know that do sports betting, it's primarily, they got into it through a significant other. That's actually how I got into it too. So like, I, you know, that's totally, you know, normal. Um, but I don't know if there's, like I said, like a real camaraderie of like women talking to each other as women about sports betting. And, you know, I think, there's not a problem with that. I mean, some of that just, you know, naturally happen if it's meant to happen, if it resonates with women, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, kind of in this age of a lot of advertisements with sports books, at what point are they going to, you know, pivot and, and really try to engage women. And I think, um, you know, we see some women on, you know, gambling Twitter and all of that. And, and they're probably targeted more towards male betters. And, you know, again, because they're offering kind of a different um, image 
content, you know, and again, I have tremendous respect for that because they're, you know, it's a very specific niche they're targeting. But I think again, like as we, as just the general like conversation of betting continues to be more and more normalized, it becomes, you know, conversation at the dinner table, you know, it's all over the TV and ESPN feeds, like you see the lines. Um, so, and I think we're going to start to see that naturally. The other interesting thing about female bettors is, you know, I think that that some operators have tried to lean into female betters by pushing female sports. Um, so like I mentioned, like, you know, I bet on the WNBA. Female bettors are typically actually betting on NFL. Like they're, the events they're wagering on actually mirror like the general broader market. Like they bet on football, you know, they're betting on baseball. They're not really betting on female sports, um, not for any specific reason. I think it just mirrors like the popularity of things. So um, you know, I think that's been an interesting thing and, and maybe where some operators previously have made, have, have perhaps missed the mark of like, you know, trying to almost like go too one-sided to targeting women that it's actually kind of like not at all giving them what they want. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting as things evolve, but I, I think for me, at least as, as someone who just likes to talk about sports betting, it's just been interesting to even hear from people that engage with me and they'll say, my wife and I love you, or I got my you know girlfriend to finally place her first bet. Like, and she ended up, you know, winning and blah, blah, you know? So I think it's just, you know, it just comes with time and, and, you know, eventually, you know, more and more people get into it, including women. Yeah. I mean, broadly speaking, men tend to follow sports more than women. And then, you know, your point yeah. about, you know, investment habits, it could be that women are a little bit more risk averse than, than men are or more, more yeah. logical when it comes to uh, things like that. But I, I would imagine, you know, more people like you out there talking about it and having it be a thing that women talk about is, you know, probably the type of thing that's going to be necessary to start bringing women into it. Uh, let's take our first break and then, um, or our only break, I should say. And I want to talk about um, how we should view sports betting these days, you know, it's newly legalized essentially something that used to be underground with bookies and mafia and so on and now all of a sudden it's above ground and um you know how people should think about sports betting uh, now that it's legal we're talking to lauren the better we'll be back after this break with more on double down with Preston. Travis Carmichael, the seemingly social financier who successfully left behind a blue-collar Baltimore upbringing by transforming himself into an elite hedge fund manager branded with a sterling reputation for creating enviable profit machines for many of the world's most powerful people. His success proved costly as he became incessantly vulnerable after a series of careless mistakes and poor decisions originated from his love affair with the brilliant and stunningly beautiful Russian operative Naomi Knight. Through a roller coaster journey, of greed, mystery, sex, and murder, Travis and Naomi's metamorphosis from scorching Wall Street couple to unrecoverable bliss is forever locked for posterity as one of New York City's most interesting tales. Coming to you from former Wall Street hedge fund executive and frequent contributor on CNBC, Fox News, Bloomberg, and CNN, I, Todd Schoenberger, feature a historical novel inspired by true events, including but not limited to those who possess impenetrable dreams of Manhattan wealth and the consuming lifestyle it perpetuates. Please pick up your copy of No Lie Lives Forever, available on Amazon and finer bookstores near you. 
And we're back with Lauren the Better on Double Down with Breslow. Uh, she has blown up on Twitter and Instagram where you can find her. Uh, what do they just type in Lauren the Better? Is that how they find you? Yep, and it's better spelled with an O, not an E. Although I am better, but I am a <laughs> Oh, that, that, that's true. There's two types of better. Hadn't thought yeah. about that. But uh, yeah, a... you are Lauren the better and the better, of course. But uh, it's B-E-T-T-O-R to find you. Um, yeah, before the break, I mentioned that, you know, we, we've seen some interesting things legalized in the past few years, which I think is a good thing. Marijuana being one of them. Not that I smoke it, but in general, I favor legalizing stuff like that. And um, and also sports betting so but then you have still questions of okay now that it's legal should we be able to advertise it and promote it and so on one point i often make about uh state lotteries which was a business i used to be in is that you know we legalized the lottery because we wanted to get the, the mafia and all the illegal elements out of the lottery so we legalized it but does that mean that we should also be promoting it should the state lottery be buying advertising encouraging its citizens to play the lottery more i think that's kind of an open question and arguably the same is true as sports betting by legalizing we now can regulate it it's now above board um and you know we've taken the criminal element out of it but does it mean that we should be promoting it and encouraging everybody to do it that's arguably a separate question just kind of curious your thoughts yeah, it's interesting. I, I actually echo your your thoughts about um, you know marijuana legalizing it, thus taxing it, thus regulating it. All good things, and I think with sports betting, the same is true. You know, I think with the legalization of sports betting, it's obviously impacted a lot of different things. But you know, primarily, it's helped protect players. <laughs> like you know, when something's underground and something goes haywire for a player, like maybe all of a sudden their balance disappears, or they're trying to get their you know withdraw their money. Well, who's holding that, you know, unregulated book accountable? They could just disappear overnight if they could. We saw that even happen like with Bitcoin exchanges like several years ago. So I think at, at the whole, like a whole, you know, 25,000 foot level, it's fabulous that sports betting is, you know, starting to just basically become legal, you know, across the United States. You're just seeing more and more. Kentucky just legalized it. North Carolina just legalized it like a, two days ago, um, you know, from from right now. And I, I think it's great. So with it though, like you mentioned, there's a lot of questions on what's that happy medium with, you know, obviously there's a state interest in maximizing their tax revenue from privilege taxes, but then, yeah, you don't want to overdo it. And then, you know, put patrons into compromising situations or, you know, expose minors to it and, you know, all of that. So I think there's this really interesting like pendulum swing happening right now where, you know, some of the early to market states had, you know, less regulations because, you know, some of the stuff hadn't been contemplated yet. And then, you know, as operators starting to get start to get into their advertising mode, the states that subsequently legalize sit back and say, hey, you know, let's look at this. And, you know, how do we want this to look in our state, you know, relative to our constituents, you know, all of that. So it's obviously like pretty regionalized in that regard. But I think the advertising thing's particularly interesting because, you know, I have I have a lot of thoughts about it. But on one hand, I think it's important to have some sort of advertising around it, obviously for, you know, economic reasons, but also for the reasons of just you know, bringing it to light to then, you know, bring forward conversations with education or, you know, you know, explaining like what betting is and what the risks are associated. Because if, if there's just no talk of it, you're going to get people who, you know, don't understand 
are doing things that maybe they shouldn't do. So I think that bringing light to it then prompts those conversations. And I think they're, you know, se separate topic for probably another time is like, I think there's a lot of opportunities for a lot of different groups, you know, operators, professional sports leagues to provide like real education to people on, you know, sports betting and, you know, different, you know, riskier bets, lower risk bets, you know, all of those things, just betting terminology. But, you know, I think the other point about advertising though, is I think, you know, we're already starting to see it change. You know, we saw it saturate the TV stations for a while. Now we're starting to see it dial back a little bit more. There's certain states that are obviously more sensitive to advertising than other states. And I think we're going to, you know, continue to see that calibration while, while everyone kind of figures out what they're comfortable with and what feels right. But I think the thing that's really interesting five years post PASPA being overturned is we have now a lot of data about people who bet, what they bet, where they live, a lot of demographic information about them. Because like at the end of the day, sports betting is a gambling entity, which is a financial institution. So at the end of the day, there's a lot of stuff we know, or like operators know about their customers. They have to. So with that though, there are opportunities, I think, for that data to be leveraged for far more targeted and customized advertising. So rather than kind of just like throwing noodles against the wall and seeing, seeing what sticks, which is kind of the approach that's been taken so far on TV, um, you know, like on Monday Night Football, like every, you know, commercial break has some sort of commercial billboards, all of that. I think we're going to start to see much more targeted ads for Lauren likes Josh Allen. So push Josh Allen props to her. So like, I think we're going to start to see that. I think we're going to start to see like far more personalized advertising. And again, you know, like, I think that concept is not new in other industries, but I think now sports betting has a little bit more of a history now that they can start incorporating some of that tech from like an algorithm perspective. So I think that'll be kind of the next wave of advertising. And I think that will be a good way to address some of, I think the broader criticisms on, um, how do we minimize advertising and, and make it not so rampant, which I think is is the view of a lot of people right now. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to legalization of marijuana, there's no advertising for right. marijuana. Right. I mean, there's a sign outside the the the, the pot shop, perhaps, but other than that, um, I think most states have have barred advertising, and there's you know, some precedent for that, you know, hard alcohol. I don't know what the rules are currently, but I know certainly for a very long time, you couldn't advertise, couldn't have television commercials for, for hard liquor. Yet with sports, it looks like it's pretty much a free-for-all. And the states that have legalized it, I've never looked into this, and I don't know if you know, but it doesn't seem like they've put many restrictions on advertising. So it appears to have just been fully embraced, something that for all this time was supposed to be such a terrible thing and illegal and not permitted in anywhere in the U.S. Suddenly, not only is it legal, but they're advertising the heck out of it. So you would think there might be some balance that could come with that because, you know, targeting younger people for, for it and so on. I mean, the bottom line is there's no question that people can become addicted to it and it can destroy lives. And, and so we have to be cognizant of that at, at some level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It is a balance. You're absolutely right. Like these are businesses. There's a lot of businesses that support the sports books. Like there's just a lot of moving pieces in the broader ecosystem. And I, you know, I think it's interesting too, like I mentioned earlier, 
you know, ESPN, it's not even advertising. Like they're just putting the lines out. I think the lines are sponsored by a book. So I suppose it is advertising, but like, it's, it's just kind of part of the dialogue now. Yeah. So I think it's just one of those things, like it's going to happen. So might as well, like make it more interesting and part of the game. And I think, you know, there's so many sports fans out there, you know, if you have the opportunity, if you're, you know, if you're a sports book and you have the opportunity to convert a sports fan into a sports better, you know, what better way to do that than, you know, advertising on a sports, you know, event. Yeah. So I think that's a, a lot of it. And, so, I, and I think using, I not, again, I don't know what the states do in this regard, but, 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 you know, requiring that as some portion of the tax revenue go to treatment programs. I mean, certainly people who do need treatment usually are not in the position to be able to pay for the treatment. And we've got obviously a major substance abuse problem in America right now. And last thing we need is a gambling addiction problem <laughs> on top of that. But I also kind of have a theory that, you know, people who have addictive personalities, they're going to get addicted to something and none of it's going to be good. It's just a matter of what it is that they happen to find to become addicted to. So mm -hmm. really treatment is really the key to be able to have, you know, some good funding for treatment. And yeah. uh, again, I don't know what the states are doing in that regard, but I'd like to see them do something. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, I, I go back to the point, a lot of like education is important. And I think, you know, something that, sports books do, you know, in many cases they're required to do it, but they have tools within their apps to help moderate play. So, you know, if you're someone, you don't even need to have a problem. If you want to just set kind of limits for yourself of, Hey, I don't want to spend more than this amount of time on the app every week. I don't want to spend this amount of money on the app every week, you know, whatever the case is. I mean, even TikTok has controls like that. And I honestly need to put those or else I'll just scroll all night. And I do sometimes, but, but there's ways that, you know, again, like you don't necessarily have to have a problem in order to moderate yourself. And, you know, especially in this day and age with phones, like it can be really, really, I mean, it's not like, oh, there's not these barriers like there used to be where it's like, okay, you have to get in the car, fly to Vegas, or, you know, in the case of like back in the, the offshore books days, like you have to know a guy who knows a guy, you know, there's a lot more kind of like stop signs with mobile sports betting there's less of that so like it, again it becomes more important i think for for the message to be pushed out there is yes sports betting is available yes you know you're you're free to use it you know so long as you're a you know eligible person but you have resources that you can use to help you know keep it in check and and if you don't like there's also resources if you if you struggle with it so I so do I think that there's a, a lot of conversation around it, which again, I think comes from the legalization of, of sports betting. Now, I think there's way more awareness on gambling addiction. Yeah. So I know you have a particular take on what's going on with the leagues as far as what they're permitting their players to do. So for years and years, we all know the famous Pete Rose story, among other stories of players getting in trouble for, for betting. And apparently all of those prohibitions are pretty much still in place by the very sports leagues. Yeah, they are. And so, you know, it, it's this, everything's balanced. I feel like we keep saying that, but it is like the buzzword. So, you know, something as a professional athlete or any athlete or anybody who's involved in, you know, sports event, like protecting the integrity of the event is obviously paramount. You don't, you know, you don't want a situation where people are, you know, match fixing or any of that. So like the optics, I think when it comes to like professional athletes or NCAA athletes, you know, getting involved in betting can get, can get dicey. And so, you know, of course the professional leagues set up gambling restrictions, um, pretty specific to 
their that respective sport or like sport facilities naturally but a lot of those were developed and rolled out pre-paspa being overturned so kind of a different world so you know obviously if a, somebody's betting on uh, the, the sport they they're in six years ago chances are they were doing an offshore book or or we had no idea they were doing it because it was an offshore book um so i think again like bringing it to the legalization like it's great now we know if people who shouldn't be betting are betting but i think you know more important than that the, the like i said like the restrictions were written pre-paspa i know so, sorry just to be clear it's your understanding that right now if we look at the four major sports that the players are not permitted to bet on any games of their league but are able to bet on games in other leagues? A hockey player can bet on a baseball game? Yeah, so in the professional leagues, yes. I, NCAA has different restrictions. I think it might be across the board, no betting. But there are like kind of carve outs. But I think, you know, we, we've had a lot of press around that topic recently because there have been players who have violated those pieces of essentially their employment contract. So I think players, perhaps unbeknownst to them because they're signing these huge contracts you know, multiple, you know, many hundreds of pages, perhaps, you know, they're not seeing that. So I, again, like so much of it goes down to education. So I know recently, actually, in the last couple of days, NFL made some enhancements to their gambling policy in that they're forcing and requiring educate, like in-person education around sports betting. So it's not just, you know, this fine print buried in contracts, like it's actual you know, in-person learning, in-person attestation, you know, it's like in your face, understanding it. So I think that's like a, again, like a very good first step, but I think, you know, the leagues are ultimately trying to figure out like, where do they fall within it? And, and I think generally speaking, we see the professional leagues embracing sports betting. Like I said, you know, you're seeing, you know, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. Like, so you're seeing that from the commercial side, like the actual like business side. And I think, but even that it took a while for the NFL to get at that point. And, you know, initially they were they hands off on gambling and then they started to, to get warmer, you know, into it. So I think the next step is probably really looking at, again, those contracts and seeing like, all right, the environment is different now, you know, this was written pre-PASPA. Now we're in this legalized sports betting age where there's this control, this control, this control, this control, you know, given all of these, you know, things that work in tandem of, we know who's betting, we know how much they're betting, we know what they're betting on, we know where they're betting from, like if they're betting from a training facility, which recently happened, you know, those are good controls in place. And so, it, you know, maybe it allows the league to say, you know what, now that we know this is in place, we now train, you know, specifically train our players you know, maybe we can look, you know, and see what we can do if, now that we've got these, you know, strong controls in place. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting question. It hasn't been, I haven't seen it debated much of late and you, you would have thought it, it would have been, but, you know, certainly we don't think that players should be able to bet against their team. You'd think that'd be pretty bad conflict of interest. Yeah. Um, and then I think that even have them bet on their own game is a little bit questionable because, you know, they've got inside information and as far as, you know, arguably they might uh, play harder in one game that they got a bunch of money on and not so much in a game they don't have. So yeah. anyway, I would think you wouldn't want them betting on their own game. Pete Rose, my understanding, his big transgression was that he did bet on his own games, but he always bet supposedly for the Reds. He never bet against them. So it was bad, but not yeah, horrible. not totally horrible. So yeah. anyway, I think we're in agreement so far. You should be able to bet on your own game. And then, okay, should a football player be able to bet on other teams' games? 
And, um, you know, again, they've got a lot of, you theoretically have a lot of inside information from, you know, friends that are yeah. playing in the other teams and so on. So, um, I don't know if you let them bet on everything, but NFL, that gives them plenty of things to bet on. And I think for the integrity of the game, I would think if I was running the NFL that I would keep in place saying that no players can't bet on NFL games. What yeah. say you Lauren, the better. I, I do agree. I think like at the end of the day, I mean, it's kind of a funny way to think about it, but I view all of the NFL players as coworkers. So maybe they're different teams, but they're all coworkers, you know, like right. that's how I view it. So to your point, like, of course they have access to, you know, inside information. I mean, a lot of people could. Um, and I think that's the thing that, I, you know, I, I respect the leagues for taking that ser very seriously because you're right. Like, it's sort of like common sense. Of course, you know, you shouldn't bet on your own game. You shouldn't bet on, you know, your colleagues across the league, like I said, but um, you know, I think that, you know, just kind of that common sense approach. And again, like, I think in the totality of the fact that the landscape is so different, you know, might at least warrant a discussion or at least help players understand why the restrictions exist. And, you know, I think because sports betting still, you know, fairly new, some players just, you know, they didn't grow up with sports betting. They didn't, you know, some of them may not even really grown up with DFS. So, so they may not necessarily understand what it means and like the optics of it and, you know, all of that. But, you know, with that said, I, you know, Calvin Ridley, I know kind of was one of the, the more recent big scandals from last year, and he ended up being suspended the entire season. Um, and now, what did he do? He, he bet, I think, 1500 bucks on something. I can't remember what it was, but. But, but, but was it on his own game? Uh, I don't think it was on his own game, but it wasn't, I think it was a football game. But he violated the, the contract, and so he ended up being out the entire season. But I find that really interesting. And, you know, yes, he violated his contract. Should he have been out the whole season? I don't know. Boy, I, I missed that story. You're saying that he simply bet – this is – I don't even know this guy. He's, he's in the NFL? Yeah, yeah. An so NFL player bet on a different game, one that he wasn't playing in, mm -hmm. and they suspended him for an entire season? Entire season he was out. Um, you know, and I think when you look at that in a vacuum, you're like, okay, so he violated his employment contract. Okay. So there's going to be a punishment to that. Then you see like Deshaun Watson also got suspended, but for, you know, how many games it wasn't the whole season. So when you like, look at the two together, it's like, wait, so we're like actually like punishing the, the guy who bet 1500 bucks harsher than someone who, you know, committed yeah. a yeah, I, I well, yeah, the, the only of, distinction would be I, apparently uh, they busted him red-handed, and apparently he ad admitted it or whatever. Whereas Deshaun Watson, I think, denies the allegations, even though they're yeah. right. The allegations are pretty compelling, but yeah, that that definitely strikes me as way overly harsh. Yeah, uh, ba based on a one wager on another game. Yeah. Right, well, yeah. we're just about out of time. What what, what 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 can people look forward to? What's your next post? That you, uh, give us a little preview on your next post is coming out. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about it. I really like the wager as people thing. Like I mentioned, like I did that thing where, you know, every wager type was a person with a personality. So I think the wager, you know, crew is going to go out to dinner tonight and we're going to see each wager type order food. So okay. We'll see, we'll see what. And, and, and where are you heading for dinner tonight? You're in Arizona, right? Yeah, I'm in Arizona. Well, I mean, I'm going to film this at my house. I mean, let's oh, okay. No, okay. no. I mean, like, yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, underdog will order something, you know, and they'll fit with their little personality. Anyway, you'll get right, it. We'll look for it. When are you going to post it? So we all know to, 
I'll post well, this, this is going to air later anyway, so it'll probably already be up there by the time we air this thing. Yeah. All right, okay. Lauren, thanks so much for joining. Everybody's going to go check you out. Your numbers are going to go zooming through the roof after this double down appearance, I'm sure. Lauren, the better. Check her out on Instagram and Twitter and anywhere else where you get your social media gossip on sports betting. Thanks, Lauren, so much for joining. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening and watching Double Down Press. We'll be back soon with another episode. Take care, everyone. I want you to smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs>